We are in uh, part three <coughs> part three of church discipline, and we'll probably have at least one more part, maybe two, depends on how we do tonight. Uh, so trying to walk through this in the, the most careful way possible and biblical, amen. So some of you are wondering, maybe possibly, I'm guessing, because uh, we've been on the soft side of this as much as possible, uh, because it is. The first goal, I mean, it's kind of like being a doctor. First, do no harm. It's kind of one of the, one of the, the hopes and goals of all church discipline. And again, this all starts with two believers making sure they are getting along with each other. Amen? Everybody here? Amen? Amen. You need to get along with each other, which means you have to admit wrongdoing and uh, forgive wrongdoing. Amen. Don't hold on to offenses. There's no purpose for it. Uh, all it does is give you a reason to be angry or something, and uh, something to hold on to and dwell on and think on. It's not worth it. Not worth it for you. Same old story. The lack of forgiveness is drinking poison, hoping the other person will get sick. That, and that's as clear as you can get. The lack of forgiveness is drinking poison, hoping the other person will get sick. And that's, that's not how it works. So, so we've covered uh, some of the basics. We've covered authority for it. We talked about the, the scriptural method. Personally, there's a personal authority. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. There's plural. You have to bring in a little bit more and eventually you have to take it to the church. Um, then scriptural authority and the scriptural ratification that God puts a stamp of approval on it. Um, and we talked about the nature of it. So we talked about it being formative. That church discipline should start with us. Uh, iron sharpeneth iron. That is the beginning of church discipline. Is two people talking to each other and helping, helping, uh, helping us get things right and, and correct direction. And then also there's a need for corrective discipline. And this again is where we get. Where I'm going to finish out that thought of first do no harm is. If a body has cancer, the first goal is to remove the cancer. We could even use the term gangrene. Gangrene would be just as easy a, uh, an illustration in the body. First thing we want to do is just stop the gangrene and remove it. But if it's going to continue at some point, there does have to be major surgery. And sometimes things have to be removed for the health of the body. Uh, now, interestingly enough, I'm, I'm going to make the church sound a little reptilian, uh, but God puts the parts in the body that he wants. And if a member gets out of sorts, you have to understand that that's a part of the body that's supposed to be doing something in the body that is working against the body. And if it refuses to get things right, then guess what? It will have to be removed. So there is a line here where our love for the brother has to have a, a point where we say, I'm sorry, we love you, but you're going to have to be outside the body until you're ready to reconcile, until you're ready to get things right. So there's a point for that. But what we're going to talk about tonight is the principles of church discipline. In other words, let's put it this way. There are some laws that need to be followed in the practice of proper church discipline. Laws that need to be followed. And these all are biblical laws not all out of Matthew 18, okay? So, <clears throat> for every church member, number one, the law for every church member, this is real easy, 
We've preached on it. We've talked about it. Matter of fact, I think we've even mentioned it over these last few Wednesday nights. For every church member, here's the law. The law of love. The law of love. A new commandment, Jesus said in John chapter 13, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Again in John 15, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. 1 John 3, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now, so this is Jesus adding in person as God a new commandment. And thus we've taken to calling this particular law the royal law. This is the royal law, the law of love. You say, why would that be the case? Well, if you can't figure that out in church discipline, we got a big problem. Okay, law of love goes first. How did and how does Christ loved you, love you? Because that's how we've been commanded to love each other. Okay, so how did Christ love you? Well, did he expect you to sin against him? Yeah, he did. That's why he went to the cross. So he expected you to guess what? Be, well, I want to use a word I was probably not, probably all these parents are trying to teach their kids not to say. But he expected you to be foolish. He expected you to be a sinner. He expected you to do wrong. And he, from his side, made up the difference so the relationship could be maintained. So you get that? From his side. That's, that's the first rule of love is, guess what? All these people in here, they're going to hurt you at some point. They're going to. And we don't go, huh, bunch of hypocrites. Can you imagine all the places we would not go if we, kept, if we stayed away from all the hypocrites? You wouldn't go to the grocery store. You wouldn't go to the gas station. You wouldn't go to sporting events. You wouldn't go to work. You'd get out of your family. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> or anywhere there's a mirror. Yeah, you get the picture. I mean, we, it's amazing how people, people get hurt and they pretend like it's the end of the world. Like, do you not live in the world I live in? I mean, seriously. I think some people, they just grew up with somebody telling them that they needed to be hurt all the time. And the rest of us just got hurt and lived with it. I don't know. It's like, put up with it. If you've got brothers and sisters, you know what, you know what hurt is. Because we're really good at ripping the snot out of each other when we want to. Right? Okay. So for every church member, this is it. So first of all, for every church member, the law of love is recognizing that every person that you go to church with is a sinner who's been saved by grace, but they're not perfected. So when they sin, not if, when they hurt you, when they surprise you, not if, we respond not with, we should kick them out of the church, they're wicked, they sinned, I can't believe they sinned, this is only a church for perfect people, right? No, we go, 
Well, I'm going to love them anyway. This, I'm telling you, you know what's funny is when we hear this law of love, what we automatically do is we apply it to the people who don't love very well. And instead of applying it to us, ourselves, to apply to the people who are hard to love. The ones who don't love very well are probably the ones who need the most love. Everybody here? You know the old story, the hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. People who have been hurt typically respond to everyone else in hurt. So listen, respond to your other members, give them a break. Understand they're humans. Now this does not mean we overlook sin, okay? It's not, we're not talking about overlooking sin, but what we are talking about is long-suffering and patience. You know, there are some things that we need to give people a chance to grow on. A, you know, we all didn't grow up in the same family background. You remember me talking about my parents? My mom grew up in the family where if you had to burp at the table, you left the table and went to the bathroom and closed the door, even if it was a quiet belch, okay? You left the table, you went to the bathroom, you closed the door, you did your burp business in there and then came back. My dad grew up as a Norwegian. Well, in Norway, that's how you compliment the chef, is from the table as loud and as long as you can do it, you know? And I'm serious, you, th- you think I'm being funny, that is literally, that was literally the culture of the day in Norway, was to belch loud and long so that the, 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 whoever cooked the meal, I'm not being funny, that was real, that's exactly what they did. So you got those two cultures come together, guess what they had to learn how to do? Well, first they had to learn how to live with each other, and then was compromise. Compromise is a good thing. Often we think that things are right or wrong based on how we grew up or how we feel or how we, or how we uh, may have had one particular instance instead of just giving people a break. Give people a break. Be patient. Some people are going to learn. You know, there are such things as uh, baby Christians who need to learn how to grow and the last thing you need is somebody whopping them over the head. You know? Well, bless God, you need to... I'm, you know, I, I've, I told you before about the lady who came to, my wife and I have been working on this lady for, I think, at least two years to get her to come to church. And she finally came to church, and she was dressed somewhat inappropriately. Not really all that bad. It wasn't like she came in wearing, uh, you know, like, I mean, just, it wasn't ridiculous. It wasn't off the wall, but it was, you know, she'd never been to church. And so it, it was, you know, she kind of was dressed up for her. And some lady I knew in our church said something to her about it. I couldn't believe it. And I treated both of those people differently. The lady who approached her and said something, I approached her directly because she had been saved longer than I had. And I approached her and said, excuse me, you should not have said anything. You need to keep your mouth shut. We've been trying for two years just to get her in church. And you said something. That was wicked. That, that was wrong. You should have never said that. that. Well, she should. Maybe she'll learn. But she's not going to learn or even come back if the first thing she experiences walking in the door is, well, you aren't. And then I went to the lady and I apologized. I said, please don't, don't think 
you know, please don't think bad of us. She, I didn't, but I'm still glad I did. You know, and over time, you know what? She found out you dress a little bit differently coming to church. You know, you dress a little bit more appropriate for church. She figured that out with growth. Long-suffering demands love for each other, demands that, when, that we give each other room to grow. You know, you get a family that, that likes to snipe at each other all the time, and that's what they're used to, verbally, you know, verbal snipe, and they come into the church and they treat you that way. Don't rip their faces off. Recognize, guess what? That's how, they, that's how they live. Give them a little bit of room, you know. Maybe bump them over a little bit if, you know, they're doing it at the person that just got into church. I don't say that to them. You know what I'm saying? Let's learn to love each other. Let's learn to give each other a break. Some people don't talk very much. Give them a break. It doesn't mean they're stuck up. Some people talk a lot. Give them a break. It doesn't mean they're attention seekers. You know what I'm saying? Let's, let's, let's just walk through this. Give people room to grow. Now, that also comes with another part, <clears throat> okay? So it's Jesus loved us, okay, on the cross, and now he loves us continually, and that's where we're at today, is that we continue to love each other, and that does mean that real love is somebody who... Um, so I would be an idiot if I let my wife walk out the door with half of her slip showing beneath her dress, knowing it was there and letting her do it would not be love. You understand that? So I would say, uh, um, uh, babe, yeah, it's uh, snowing in the Southland. <laughs> and she'd look, oh my goodness. Listen, love also teaches us Listen, love also teaches us that correction is appropriate. Correction is appropriate. Amen? Is everybody here? When somebody's past, it starts to slip out in a conversation. Correction is appropriate. And you know what I mean by their past. Or somebody gets extremely discouraged and, and you hear them make a statement like, man, you know what? I know I'm supposed to be a Christian, but I sure could go for a drink right now. Correction is appropriate, or help, or encouragement. Drawing them back. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Correction, there's nothing wrong with correction. This is part. Do you think God just saved us and then just lets us wander through life without ever... What do you think the staff and rod are for? It's like, no, no, not over there. Over here. Over here. And often, God uses people to do that. Isn't it? We just want God to do all that, don't we? And here's in this passage, the Lord t- teaching us to talk to each other, walk through with each other, encourage each other, edify each other. That is, so for every church member, the law of love. Number two, for every offender, we'll just call that every church member too, pretty much. <laughs> for every offender, here's your law, the law of of confession. The law of confession. What's James 5.16? Confess your faults one to another. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. Okay, not, you know what humans are horrible at? Confessing anything close to a fault. <laughs> but this is what church is supposed to look like. 
Confess your faults. Now again, I'd encourage you, go look up the word faults because it's that broad term that means everything from a willful transgression to something that's completely unintended. Okay, so it's, it's something that you say that you didn't mean to sound like that, something that you didn't even know was a problem, but you saw it was a problem, you know what I'm saying? Or something that you knew you shouldn't have said and you said it anyway, or you knew you shouldn't have done and you did it anyway. The law of confession is, if you've done wrong, confess it! <laughs> you don't wait for them to come to you and say, you did me wrong. No, you go and say, I was wrong, or it seemed like maybe that thing that happened, like maybe it hurt you and I did not, you hear that? Well, they just need to grow up and get over it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but according to the Bible, confess your faults. If it was willful, confess it. If it was unintended, but you know it was caused an issue, confess it. Talk about it. Say, go through and find out. Listen, First John 1 John 1.9, personal sin should be confessed to God. No question, right? We're not, talking about, we're not talking about you divulging the sins of your heart and the secret sins of all your past. This is talking about between each other. Now, I will tell you that I believe this confess your faults is helpful when we have a sin that's common to us all. Is to be able to look at someone and say, you know, I struggle with that also. Or, you know, I struggled with that until. You hear, you hear that? Confess your faults. Sometimes it would be helpful to do that. But listen, personal sin. So things that are, this is primarily talking about when one member has wronged another. That's kind of the context. But I do believe we could, this, this context in James 5 could be expanded a little bit. But in our context, this is about when one, wrong, when one member has wronged another. So if you have a personal sin, you know, I don't need to hear about it, you know. Trenton spent too long time looking at a billboard, you know, it had a half-naked girl on it. I don't need to hear about that. That's between him and God. <laughs> not that you did or not, I don't know. <laughs> private offenses, so if it was done in private, now this is, this is even gets worse because if it was, <laughs> if it was, <laughs> sorry, if it was done in private, a private conversation where we said something that was offensive, then that is dealt with in private. Okay? For the sake of both people. In private. So you say a personal conversation between two people, you know, well, I think you're a big jerk and I wish you'd go someplace else, you know. Nobody else heard that conversation, you take care of that between you two. If you have a conversation that happened out in front of God and everybody, guess what? The apology, the confession needs to be out in front of God and everybody. You hear that? In other words, you got the whole family there and you spout it off. Then the whole family needs to be there when you say, I shouldn't have said that. Nope, nothing private there. You hear everybody here? If it was a private offense, you deal with it privately. If it was a public offense, you deal with it publicly. Now I'll just tell you there's a simplest way to do this. Absolute simplest way to do this. The moment you knew that what you did wrong was wrong, which usually happens within seconds of when you did it, you apologize. Well, I don't feel like it. It's not about your feelings. Get over your feelings. What's the right thing to do? Apologize. Then apologize. 
And guess what? Usually the people that it was around, if it was public, they're all still there. And if it, if the, if it was just between two people, usually that person is not too far away. You hear what I'm saying? So listen, get over your feelings. Oh, listen, tell your feelings to go take a hike and obey God's word that says, confess your faults. The moment you knew what you did was wrong, admit it. I'm sorry, please forgive me, I should not have said that. Okay? In front of everybody, then the whole family gets to see the reconciliation. And the whole family is eased instead of sitting on pins and needles for the rest of the Thanksgiving dinner. That's coming up, right? (laughs) All right. So, for every every church member, the law of love. For every offender, the law of confession. Okay? Now, I will tell you this also. I didn't quite... I, don't, I need to go back and catch the public thing as well. If you are a church member and you are in the public eye, okay, your sin is done out in the public eye, you have, you have tarnished the reputation of your church in the public and you need to come to the church and apologize for that. And the only way you can fix that is by changing your actions outside of the church. But in the church, that needs to be a public confession. If it's been a public sin, in other words, you're a married person, but you go out to the bar with another married person or somebody who's not your spouse, that's done in the public eye. That's not private. That's done in the public eye. People, people go to the bar, they see you, somebody invites them to come to church, and they come to church the next day, and they see you with another person. The church... It's tarnished. You understand what I'm saying? It's public. And those things need to be apologized for publicly in front of the church. Amen. That is, not, that, that is correct. That is appropriate. Um, and you say, oh, we would never, but nobody would ever do that. It happens all the time. I talk to preachers all the time that have to deal with situations just like that. And the people, the, the people make their public apology in front of the church. They maintain their membership in the church. The church loves them to death. Why? Because they got up and said, I blew it. I don't want to be this way. I want to be, this is what I should be doing. And often, you know what you hear? Please help me. Please help me keep straight. You, you, you hear that? I, I just got asked that two, three weeks ago. I need to do better at this. Would you please hold me accountable? I hate that kind of stuff. But you know what? He asked me openly and honestly, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to hold him accountable every once in a while. Hey, are you still doing what you're supposed to do? You, you know what I'm saying? And that shouldn't just be for pastors. But if it's a public offense, public sins should be confessed publicly. Private offenses should be confessed privately. And personal sins should be confessed to God. All right. So for the church member, the law of love. For the offender, the law of confession. For the accused. For the accused. Now, this doesn't mean you did anything you understand that? It just means you're accused of it. Your law is the law of initiative. Law of initiative. This is in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Okay? Again, if he has ought against you, not if there's actually a reason for 
a reason for him to have ought against you. Okay? The law is not... This law is irrelevant as to whether an offense actually occurred. Do you see that? The law is irrelevant as to whether offense actually occurred. If someone is offended... Now... Um, again, this is kind of a a case-by-case. You kind of have to work with people here on it. There are some people who just are always offended about everything. And I'm dead serious. There's like nothing you can do when they're taking offense. At some point you realize that it's not you that has caused an offense. And literally I'm talking about people who are just, everything is an offense. They're always whining and bickering and fussing about somebody did something, you know. It's like every... You know, after a while you start to figure out if every salesman I talk to and every grocery clerk I get, grocery store clerk I get, and every bank teller I get, and all the church members I talk to, they all have a problem. At some point you have to start waking up to the fact of they might not be the problem. Okay? So when you have someone like that, you make your first few attempts at making things right. Okay? Often with people like that, it does stop the issue for a while. But at some point, if people are just going to be like that, you have to understand you're not the problem there. Now, I don't have Bible on that. That's my opinion, okay? This is talking about a more serious issue between two brothers, an offense, and something where uh, it, it's why sometimes I look at my kids and say, is everything okay? Or my wife say, is everything okay? Because I can see on their face, I'm way too sensitive about some of that stuff sometimes. I see on their face that something's wrong, and then I, I, they have to tell me, yes, it's fine. Like, okay, okay. They're dealing with something and it's not me. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I'm going to go, I'm telling you, for a lot of preachers, I'm, Brother Chester, you can, probably, you can probably associate with this, but there are times before I walk up there on that pulpit, I'm, te- I'm bringing my wife back into the office and saying, babe, I got to apologize for something. <laughs> or are we okay on this thing that happened? Because I don't want to walk up there in the pulpit and preach knowing in my mind that there might be something going on back there. Not saying I get in the pulpit perfect every time. Maybe I try to. Well, can't be perfect. But you know, you get the picture. You know, I try to do it right. But the idea is if, there's an, if I think, if I think someone has an offense against me. Hey. Hey, brother. Um, was at church the other day. And I said something, and it didn't look like you responded well. Are we okay? Are we okay? Because you know exactly what happens. Somebody that you go to shake their hand, and you intend you want to go shake their hand, and you walk up to shake their hand, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they're like totally ignoring you. You connect the dots. And you know what your brain does for the next three hours? What's going on with them? What's wrong with them? What did I do? What did they do? Was it that conversation we had two weeks ago? Come on! You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, some of you don't. Some of you are like, eh, oh well. <laughs> some, of you, some of you get the picture of, yeah, they're just having a bad day. I'm going to get it. And other people are like, confess your faults one to another. So the law of the accused. Okay, and if someone blatantly points their finger at you and says, you're wrong and you know it, or you did this, or you hurt me, or blah, blah, blah. Guess what? You don't, you don't have to wait for them to come and seek reconciliation. You go reconcile. I love how the, the Bible does this. The Bible places the responsibility for reconciliation on both sides. 
You've been offended? Reconcile. You think you may have offended? Reconcile. That's the law. That kind of follows the law of love, doesn't it? The first law? All right, so reconciliation. So the law, the law of, for every church member, the law of love. For the offender, the law of confession, go and confess. For the accused, the law of initiative. Even if, listen again, read that passage. It doesn't say there actually was an offense. It just says if, you, if your brother thinks you have an offense, essentially. Or has a, has a, if thy brother hath ought against thee, go be reconciled. Amen. The law ought to be exercised even when no offense has actually occurred. There we go. All right, and the last one. The last one. For the offended. Okay, so for the offender, for the accused, and for the offended. This ought to be, this ought to be like standard. Everybody ought to know this, right? You've been offended. How many times should I forgive? my brother. Forgive. Luke 17, 3 and 4. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Amen. Matthew 18, 21, 18, 20 and 21, I believe. My, my thing is wrong. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Amen. So, we seek for reconciliation. But it is interesting, is it not, that forgiveness in the heart needs to be given right away. Okay? You don't want to hold things against people. But if you have been offended, um, forgiveness is something that is given and has to be requested you understand that how did you get saved you had to go to god admitting your wrongdoing amen and then that's seeking forgiveness from god so it's kind of interesting people say well you're already forgiven that's a good thing in your heart that is how things ought to be done in your heart things things ought to be forgiven immediately walk away from it forgiving them but at the same time, understand that that issue has not been resolved until forgiveness has been asked for, forgiveness has been asked for and given. Now, so just on a side note, because I've dealt with this more than more more often than I thought I would, but in the ministry, talking to people who have had one of those things where they had a bad conversation, usually it's with a parent. Sometimes with a, a brother, or, or I mean a, a, a sibling or a child, but where they have a bad conversation, and then the person they had the bad conversation with passes away before there can be reconciliation. So I'm just giving you my opinion on that. Is you do your best to reconcile it anyway as if the person was there. Go to the grave, wherever it is you got to go, and you, you look at that grave and you verbally, out loud, say as if, you're, as if God's going to pass it on. And I'm not saying this is some kind of mystical thing that's going to happen, but you need to do it. For your own sake, you need to do it. You walk out there and you ask for forgiveness and say you shouldn't have said it, and, if, and then just tell God if you can pass it on, great, and then walk away as if it's taken care of. That, and that's just because people, people are, can be severely damaged by things like that. 
And I'm just telling you, having those kind of conversations, uh, even with, on your end, uh, and I'm telling you, there, there might be some of you here that need to let it, you need to let some things go. And almost always the way to let those things go is verbally, out loud, verbally. And bring the Lord in on the whole thing. Bring God in on the conversation and, uh, and make sure that you know, you're, you're saying, God, I don't know if this, how this, if this how this works, but Lord, just ask you if you would, if you can pass along. If not, I'm just doing it for my own well-being. If your brother has ought against you, go make it right. Amen? So that being said, let me put it to you this way. That's why you keep short accounts. That's why you don't hold on to grudges. That's why when, when and again, I'm going to say this again, confess your faults one to another does not say when you feel like it. It doesn't say when you feel like it. It says, when you under, the idea is when you understand it's a fault. You get that? When you've hurt someone and, and you understand you've hurt someone, make it right. And, and I, my, you, you can ask my wife, I'm not even lying, we have, look, we have looked at each other sometimes and I mean, like, still at the end of a heat of a conversation, I've looked at Dana, and she's looked at me and says, I'm not real sorry right now. Be honest with people. It's not like they're idiots. I'm not real sorry right now, but I should not have said that in that way. Or I should not have said that. That was wrong. Please forgive me. You know, it's funny that once you, once you acknowledge the truth verbally, how quickly sorry becomes part of the equation. But your emotions want to drive it. And your emotions say, no, we ain't saying nothing until we feel like... And what you need to do is get your emotions by the shirt collar and say, bud, you're not in charge here. God said, confess your faults one to another. And so you you get things right. And and I'm just telling you, it's amazing how quickly your emotions say, yes, sir. (laughs) Not as quick as you ever want. Never as fast as you want. You know how that works. I mean, I'm... You all know how that works. Why shouldn't we trust our emotions in a matter like this? I'll use this illustration and then we'll be done. Um, so Miss Vicky, she's cleaning out the house over there on, was it 8th Street? So she, she goes, let's just say she's out there cleaning out. She's, you know, getting rid of stuff. And she moves a few boxes and she, un, she moves a box and it is full of earwigs. And knowing Miss Vicky, there would be a... a a verbal and physical response to that. And she'd be out the door looking for Jerry or maybe, I don't know, I'm trying to picture her stomping all over, but it would be an interesting picture. <laughs> okay, so they get that problem cleaned up. Okay, nope, there's no problem. Earwigs are gone, boxes are moved. She uh, walks out of that room, runs through a cobweb. How would all you respond? <laughs> Is there anything on me? <laughs> okay, so let's just say her emotions were already at like a three, four. And she saw the earwigs and they went up to like a six, seven. Drop back down maybe to a six and then run through the cobweb. She's sitting pretty close to nine right now. She walks by the silverware drawer and a spoon shifts in the drawer. Clink. What do you think she's doing? Clink. Do you hear the picture? Emotions are liars. Emotions are liars. 
don't be controlled by your emotions. Well, let's, let's, put, let's put Andy out in the woods. So we're going to put, Brother Andy, Daniel, we're going to tell a story on your dad. So Brother Andy's out hunting. Maybe he takes Caleb. That'd be good. He takes Caleb. So they're not going to go out hunting. They're going to go out, they're just going to go out hunt some squirrel, maybe some rabbit. Got a couple shotguns, maybe a twenty-two. They're just out there walking, looking around, you know, and, and they, they hear some, they hear a little bit of noise, and of course it's a little bit of noise, so they're kind of sneaking through the woods thinking, oh, we might have a rabbit or a squirrel here. And uh, they don't see nothing, so they keep walking, and this noise keeps following them. They keep turning and looking, and there's nothing there. And then they hear this weird little low, you know, like, well, what was that? Was that a deer? I don't think that was a deer, you know. And they keep going, well, now maybe Brother Handy's like, he's trying to act cool, like, oh, that's probably nothing, you know. But his, his brain's elevating a little bit. And uh, they're walking along, and he, hear, he hears something again. Well, this time Andy turns around, and there's a big brown head peeks through the trees. Well, Andy goes, that ain't no rabbit. <laughs> and they turn around and look, and just like right up ahead, just a couple, just a, maybe 20, 30 feet, kind of hidden off the road, there's this old cabin. And he grabs Caleb and throws him through the door, and he runs in and slams the door, and there's a bar, and he throws the bar down, and they hear that bear, wham, hit that door, and Andy and Caleb are on the other side of the cabin, up against the wall, because, you know, 20-gauge shotguns with rabbit load aren't the right thing to shoot at a bear. <laughs> Not if you want to keep it happy. And so they hear the bear snuffing around, and I'm sure Andy's, you know, they're Caleb, and he's trying to protect Caleb, and it's taking him a little bit to kind of come aware of what's going on, and after a while he looks around and realizes... This whole cabin is made out of like 10 by 10 beams. He looks at the door. He's like, man, I don't know who built this cabin. That's like a steel door with a 4 by 4 bar. And so the knowledge, his, his brain says there's no danger. The bear is not getting through this particular cabin. He's not coming in the door. He's not getting through the roof. It's all too tough. Does that mean he just goes, oh, hey, you want to play a game? <laughs> no, he's probably still got his gun like this, you know. Yeah, okay. So they're, you know, they probably stay in there long enough for the bear to be in another county. Peek open, lift up the bar. Peek open the door, look around. I can imagine, you know, it's like this. Caleb's behind him going, is it out there? (laughs) Is it out there? You know, they peek around the corner. Andy's looking, I don't see no bear. It's been long enough. He's probably long gone. We haven't heard him in like, you know, two hours. And so they take a few steps out. A few steps more out, a few steps more, and a mouse comes skittering out underneath and going through all the dry leaves. And there's two guns going, blam, 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 blam. <laughs> no more mouse. Why? Because emotions are liars. That, you hear what I'm saying? Emotions are liars. Listen, what is right? Did I do wrong or did I offend? Then go and make things right. Ignore your emotions, drag your emotions where they have to be, do right, confess your faults one to another. Confess your faults, go get it right. I was hurt, I've hurt someone else. Go and get it right. So, the laws, if you will, the principles of church church discipline. For every church member, the law of love, before we ever get there. For the offender, the law of confession. For the accused, the law of initiative. You go, get it right. For the offended, the law of forgiveness. Forgive. 
don't hold on to don't hold on to that either. Get forgive and forgive quick. Same rule apply to that with with emotions. Amen. The principles of church discipline. All right. Next uh, next Wednesday night, I will not be here. Uh, don't forget, we are flying out Monday uh, to Oklahoma City, and uh, we preach. Uh, say we preach. Dane and I both uh, speak preach. Um, Wednesday morning at 8.30 Oklahoma time, Central time, 8.30 Central time. And then uh, they've asked me to sing uh, in the chapel on Thursday. So I would appreciate your prayers for all that. And then we'll be back sometime on Friday, if I remember right. So, uh, so I would appreciate your prayers for that. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Father.